Well, I want to welcome you to our session EV13 conversation, discussion, presentation here. Uh, our title is Investigating and Advocating for the Liminal or Middle Interface of Writing Technologies. I'm Scott Kovaleski uh, from Saginaw Valley State University. I'm joined by my colleague at SVSU, Bill Williamson. Hey there. As well as our, as well as our colleague, Steve Benninghoff from Eastern Michigan University. Howdy. Uh, we wanted to record a podcast as part of our presentation here today to be a little bit less presentation-y and a lot more conversational. Uh, we saw that as being an opportunity for us to kind of share some of the things that we've been thinking about and talking about and working on over the last couple of years, uh, as well as some of the things that we've just kind of, uh, you know, tend to just discuss in very informal conversations among the three of us uh, on, on the phone and through Zoom calls over the last couple of years. Uh, we did propose this presentation, uh, well, two years ago for the 2020 Computers and Writing Conference. Uh, and so a lot has really evolved and changed in our thinking and even with the way that the field has moved uh, with some of the things that we're talking about here over the last couple of years. And so, you know, we're looking to have conversations about how to incorporate that. And um, I will encourage uh, any listeners to, uh, to sign our guest book on our presentation slides uh, you can leave your name and contact information there and, you know, even a call to action. If you'd like to reach out and, and, and chat with us or have a conversation with us, we'd love to hear from you. So you can feel free to send us an email as well. Uh, but I want to kick our conversation off today with something that we have been uh, talking about here uh, over the last uh, uh, couple of days as we've been framing out our our conversation. And it's it's kind of, I think, a way to introduce how we're talking about liminal spaces uh, and how we're thinking about um, uh, well, some of the stuff we'll talk about today in terms of design thinking and maker spaces. And, and this came through with a conversation we were uh, kind of talking before we were recording, where Steve, you had mentioned that uh, you, you think about computers and writing as, as always being a maker space. And so I wondered if you could kind of get us started here uh, and talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then we'll continue to move into uh, some liminal spaces and thinking about maker spaces as, as, as um, you know, as some liminal, as a liminal space. Uh, as well as places where we can, um, uh, you know, think through invention literacy. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some pedagogical and curricular elements. Uh, and Steve will share uh, some work that he's done in his class uh, through assignments uh, this past uh, winter semester as well. So um, thinking about computers and writing as a makerspace, Steve, uh, you know, talk with us a little bit about, about that, some of the things that, um, you know, you've been kicking around there. One of the things that's been true about computers and writing for a long time is it has been a place where academics and grad students and people involved in both uh, writing instruction and, and um, technology and supported writing instruction have been able to um, play for lack of, is I think the appropriate word with experiments and try things out and, um, it's been one of the places where that has been most supported um, through all sorts of different things with whether it's the grad uh, research work or just a supportive community. Um, computers and writing has long been the place where if people want to try something out, they've been able to find um, people who are equally interested in ways of experimenting with technology and supporting writing instruction. And in many ways, that sort of inventiveness and that sort of spirit is very much that one of the things that 
uh, maker spaces are shooting for. And so that's long been the case. And when we were discussing ways of thinking about this, it was like, as we were going through, it's like, Hey, wait a minute. Um, this is exactly what computers and writing has, has long been. Well, and Bill Williamson here, I'm going to jump in and say, and, and add to the carry, carry on that, that thread. One of the things that, that I value about computers and writing as someone who's a, uh, a relatively late comer to the, to the community, I've always known a lot of the people who were active in computers and writing because they cross over into technical communication and technical communication, which has always been my home discipline is has always had a makerspace spirit to it. Uh, it, we've, we've always been a home for geekery. We've always been a home for gadgetry. There's always been elements of our pedagogy that are playing with, uh, with, with stuff that now we would associate with makerspaces, Tinker toys and Legos and, and, you know, doing, um, you know, prototypes of things and then trying to figure out, okay, how would we describe that? And how would we explain for to someone how we would use that kind of thing? You know, so that kind of mentality has always been a big part of technical communication so that that makerspace element, I think, is something that computers and writing and technical communication have in common. And so this is a really exciting moment for us to be coming together as communities around a venture idea like that, because I think it has a lot of potential for helping us, one, reclaim some of those spaces or, or reinvent some of those spaces where we've been before, but also to recognize some of that common ground that we've always had. Yeah, I, I would say for me, I, I, I became involved with the computers running community about a dozen or so years ago when I was a graduate student at Virginia Tech. And there was something I, that I felt uh, very welcomed into the community much more than I did at some of the other larger conferences in the field. And I think a big part of that, and over the years, have, have sort of been, uh, you know, reinforced is, you know, I feel like I can kind of bring some of the things that I've been experimenting with, and you know, not to say that I don't want to bring good ideas or or, or some strong work, but it, but it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it could be, it could be something that that I'm not afraid necessarily that that might bomb or fail. And and to me, that's again, the spirit of, of invention and makerspaces, trying some things out, seeing what sticks, seeing what doesn't work. And then, you know, going back and, and fixing and, and, and starting over sometimes. So with all that kind of stuff in mind, Scott, do you want to, you want to take us a step down the pathway onto the, the connection between makerspaces and, and liminal spaces or liminality? You, you were, you were the, the person who, who, nudged us onto this pathway we we went willingly but um but let, let's let's let you start that conversation and steve and i can try to to jump in and 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 kind of shape that a little bit more yeah so so my entry point into makerspaces came in 2019 uh when bill and i were working on a an internal grant proposal for a uh what SVSU is called the uh departmental inter in departmental innovation grant uh and it's a five thousand dollar grant to help your department um think and develop innovative strategies that uh connect with students or, or help to uh you know help help with student development and and um you know their their academic success and one of the things that I had read recently, or well, actually it came from my, um, my, my, my kid's school, they had just created a, 
a maker space in their school. And so I wanted to read a little bit more about what those are. And, and I became really fascinated with uh, how they help to support invention um, and, and the fact that they can incorporate a variety of low tech and high tech kinds of equipment. So for example, my, my uh, kids makerspace had this really uh, state of the art 3d printer. Um, and, and, you know, I thought that that was a, you know, a, a really cool piece of technology or equipment to expose young students to very early on to see, to have them help them see their ideas, right. Become a 3d object. Um, but as, as college students, uh, while 3d printers might be kind of interesting as well, I also saw the value in working through low tech, uh, and, and low fidelity kinds of, uh, uh, invention strategies. So one of the things that we use that I use the most in our, in my own makerspace and the makerspace that, that Bill and I ended up, uh, uh, getting supported through this grant, uh, are just, you know, uh, uh, paper and, 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 and markers and uh, some of the really low tech kinds of like graphing paper and things that, that help students create wireframes and prototypes. Certainly you don't need a makerspace to do those kinds of things. Uh, but those low tech, uh, you know, gadgets and, and, and opportunities can be really powerful. Um, a makerspace to kind of back up as I started doing research is a, uh, this is from makerspaces.com a collaborative workspace inside a school library uh, or public or private facility for making learning, exploring and sharing the uses of high tech to no tech tools. Um, so for me that these spaces then provided those resources for cultivating that learning and creation. And it was a, a central hub for where students could kind of gather and see that work happening. Um, and so then the challenge was, well, how do we think about working to incorporate that kind of stuff into uh, into curriculum, into into coursework. So we think about these maker spaces then as being these hubs for collaboration. And one of the things that writing scholar Doug Walls, Walls argues is that quote, we need to understand that meaning is not inherent in our tools, uh, parentheses, writing, media, ideas, language, and parentheses, nor does writing, uh, me, nor does meaning reside in ourselves. Rather, it exists in the space between our tools, ourselves, and each other in the space of design, end quote. And so I thought about these, you know, these maker spaces as being these, mo these places for invention or being these thresholds that help to usher one kind of learning into another. And so this is where the idea of liminal spaces uh, helped me kind of connect these uh, ideas. Uh, and for a little bit broader context, at, at SVSU, I was working as the writing program administrator at the time. We had just brought uh, Elizabeth Wardle in. Uh, to do some presentations uh, in, in relation to uh, the, the writing about writing text that she writes. And so her presentation was largely built around liminal spaces as well. And so these things were really kind of swirling in my head. So this connection between makerspaces as collaborative, high to low tech invention spaces really seemed to connect to this idea of threshold or liminality as students grow and learn and develop through that idea of, of, of invention and making and tinkering. So let me pick up that thread of liminality uh, a little bit. And so classically speaking, liminal spaces are, are spaces that are transitions and, and, and places that are, that are in between where that's where the, the concept of threshold comes from, where you cross over a threshold into this in-between space. Um, in metallurgy, we talk about interstitial spaces, the places that are in between 
And in the context of creating a new material, a new metal, for example, the impurities that you put into those liminal spaces, those interstitial spaces, actually define the quality of the material that you that you end up with. So it's it's the impurities in in the matrix that that become the the flavor, so to speak, or the that create the values and the properties of, of that particular kind of material. And maker spaces have some of that because those maker spaces are places where you can come in and you've got these things available to you, some high tech, some low tech, but the real advantage is just having a space, a collaborative space where you can begin to transform an idea into a reality. You can build a prototype. You can imagine a prototype to begin with. You can talk it through. You can write it up on a whiteboard. We've got magnetic whiteboards, so you can do things like interface design, you know, and, and, and rearrange things on the on the whiteboard screen that you can then translate into um, into a wireframe using something like, say, Figma, the the software package for doing wireframing, or XD from Adobe. So there's all these ways that makerspaces become these transitional spaces where ideas go to grow, where ideas go to potentially thrive, but we also have to hold on to the idea that ideas may go there to die. And that's an okay thing because sometimes an idea, the prototype isn't proof of concept. It's proof that you're wrong. And, and that's okay. You know, that, that's, that's gotta be part of that learning process, part of that exploratory experience of, of creating and testing ideas. And it's interesting since Bill brought up metallurgy, there's different ways for us to think about liminal and in mythology and a lot of, um, places where, or, or just in um, other societies where there's a clear stage between when someone is a child and someone becomes an adult. So there's, um, in different societies, they go through liminal um, ceremonies and thresholds where they move into becoming an adult and taking up um, the sort of rights and responsibilities of an adult in the society. And oddly enough, in like, um, uh, in different sort of societies where <clears throat> there are shamans and other sorts of people who are sort of, those are people who live in the liminal space and in their transitions, they might go in a dream or in different things into a different space and have uh, part of their body replaced. So it's an ancient version of sort of the $6 million man where they go through and get <laughs> some sort of power. And when they come back out of that dream, Right, they too have uh, transitioned into a different role or a different, and they have a different capability. And so, I think it's pretty interesting thinking about how these different kinds of tools—tools tools for imagining and tools for testing—and spaces where it's okay to play at um, testing. Th these are what we think of as maker spaces. Well, and it represents that makerspace is more than a physical entity or a physical facility because, I mean, as, as we'll explore as, as we continue with our conversation here, makerspace is something that we've incorporated in technical communication classrooms for a long time. And Steve's going to highlight some of the stuff that's been going on in, in his classes recently. But it's a, it's a mentality. It's a, it's a way of approaching 
a problem. You know, we, we have made the transition over the past decade and a half, especially in technical communication, into thinking of ourselves as problem solvers more than as, as a writer or a or a, a communicator. You know, and, and what we mean by that is instead of defining ourselves or instead of defining our students and our potential, our future graduates, I suppose, by what they're going to do on the job, we emphasize the fact that like other professions, we solve problems and our tools may vary and our tools may be different from some of those other professions, but ultimately that's what it is, which is why it has become, I mean, we've evolved in, in, in recent years to embrace makerspaces, to embrace design thinking, to embrace um, user experience design and usability studies. And these are all things that help us make tangible and make real in the context of classrooms and of laboratories and of other kinds of workspaces where we connect people with things, people with ideas, people with people, and where we can reinforce the best of what we do in a way that gets valued as one, problem solving, two, design thinking, and three, as something that is going to be valued both within the academy and once our students leave the academy. Right. And one of the biggest challenges to get to that point is getting students to feel comfortable with the messiness that happens during problem solving. And you know, so we can think about the design thinking process that you know, starts with empathy and works through a process typically associated with, um, you know, uh, defining and ideating and prototyping and testing. And that, that structure can be really helpful for kind of giving students a framework for thinking through some of that messiness, but it doesn't always guarantee that if they followed all the way through, they're going to end up with a lovely polished deliverable, right? There's a lot of, a lot of gnarliness that could kind of happen in, in the, in those liminal spaces as they're moving, even as they move between, uh, you know, amongst and between some of these steps of the design process. Uh, and that can be a really uncomfortable place. I think for a lot of students, because, well, in part because of the way that academic models typically work, um, you know, I teach, you do, you get grade. Um, and, and that's often how they're accustomed. And, 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 you know, this idea of, of design thinking and, and, and working through a, a makerspace mentality really kind of throws a lot of that on the, on their head. And, and it puts them in a position where they have to define, they have to figure it out and they have to work to solve. Yes. We are there to provide ideas and thoughts and feedback. Um, but even sometimes I'm not sure. I mean, well, maybe all the time. I'm not sure where things are going to go. Well, and one of the key aspects to having this kind of pedagogical approach is that we're asking students to take chances. And so you have to be upfront and clear with them. I'm asking you to think hard. I'm asking you to work at these problems that we don't necessarily know the answer to. So it's very much different than the teacher knows where this is going kind of mode. Yes. And so you, you have to be very clear with the students that if I'm going to ask you to take chances, then I'm not going to slap you on the wrist and like hammer you grade wise for what's going on because academia and everything still rewards the individual grade. So you have to make sure that you put bumpers out there for them so that they're not going to run off the road. Well, and this is really key because historically speaking, when, when at least when Steve and I 
came into the world of technical communication, which you got to go back to the 80s to get to that point. You know, there, there's a misconception that technical communication is really about making the world neat and tidy. And, and that's not the way the world works. And so we have embraced over the last 20 years in particular this notion of wicked problems. And as we've made that transition into thinking of ourselves as problem solvers, if that's where we're going and if that's the world that we want to acknowledge, and absolutely that's where I'm at and that's the kind of thing that I want to celebrate here, we can't create spaces that are neat and tidy. We can't create grade schemes that are neat and tidy. We have to let that infinitely messy and incalculable reality of human interaction define the flavor, the quality, the the whatever phrase you want to put in there of what happens in our classrooms, because that's going to be the thing that helps our students break out of that mentality that actions equal points equal grades. You know, that's, yes, there's a connection there. We live in an environment that values assessment. Can't get away from it. At the same time, if we want them to take something away, we don't want them to take away, hey, I scored an 89 on that. No, we want them to take away, that was an interesting problem, and wow, did we come up with some fantastic ideas, and, and boy, do we have a few that tanked as well. That's what I want to see. So we've talked a little bit already about thinking, making connections between maker spaces and liminal spaces, talking about how that's integrated into uh, strategies for problem solving and the messiness of that problem solving uh, for student activity and assignments, and then our sort of responsibilities as as teachers, as faculty, to su support students in that messiness. Let's maybe pivot here is a good or a good point to pivot here. And and Steve, if you want to share a little bit about your pencil activity that that brings in some of the structure that we've been talking about. Sure. So um, in my tech comm classes lately, I've been service courses and I've had a lot of um, education majors and I have uh, some majors, but one of the key things that um, activities I've tried to do to help them think about um, this sort of approach, like a design thinking approach or a makerspace approach is actually extremely low tech. And I would have students make a set of instructions for using a pencil. And it, it seems so incredibly simplistic that then we do it in sort of three stages. And at one level, they would just do instructions for basic operation. A second level, they would do it for using a pencil for a particular task. So a more targeted thing. And the third level would be, how do you teach um, delight? How do, you, how do you make people enjoy using a pencil? And of course, the framework for this and from a tech comm perspective is the most old school uh, version of TechCom is very explicit operation and use of something. The second level is much more targeted on particular tasks and goals and more of a sort of um, a little bit of an audience base there. But the third task is obviously shifting more towards an understanding of user experience design and trying to make it not just something that is uh, basic operation, but how do you actually make it enjoyable and valuable to people? How do you help people develop their own meaning, their own meaningfulness, as, as Walls was saying, um, in the use of the tool? And so these are very simplistic. So you try to, to 
as it a sort of play activity, you know, one page, use a pencil to do it. And it's amazing the layers and levels that appear right away. So in the very first um, iteration of this, I would go around and note the way the students were holding the pencils and the ways that you have to learn if you're left-handed or in other, they all operate the things differently. <clears throat> so the, even though it's not high tech, and this is one of the valuable things about a lot of low tech versions of thinking about this terms of makerspaces is they realize um, how much of their knowledge and understanding is tacit. And then you can help them really start to develop and bridge um, much more awareness of what's possible and how deep their own knowledge and awareness can, can become. And assignments like that, I like be, before I, I jump in with that historical moment, I want to celebrate here that I think this is really cool because it is, it is so utterly simple at some level. And yet you can draw so much value and have conversation threads that move in so many different directions from this. I, I think that that's one of the things that where I was going to go with that is that's that makerspace mentality that's always been part of TechCom. I remember being an undergrad back in the 80s and designing some set of goggles in a class, I think with Craig Waddell, where you know it, it was using Tinker Toys and then I had to write up um, like a description of it and, and instructions for how to use them. And like there's roots of your pencil assignment in there. Paper airplanes were one of those classic things, you know, the instructions for paper airplanes, which I then transformed into origami and then found all kinds of ways of, of extending into UX in recent years through these incredibly simplistic, very hands-on manipulable kinds of, of, of pedagogical moments and methods. So that kind of stuff is like, we can do that anywhere. We can do that anytime. And when it's appropriate to bring into the class, it's a way of getting our students focused on a particular activity that we can then draw out all of this, well, a, a whole bunch of different kinds of value. So that's, that's the beauty of it. Now, one of the key aspects of this, so yes, it's complicated, it's wicked, it's messy. It has all of these um, components to it. And so, but one of the core, core aspects of doing assignments like this, and it's one of the, I think, a challenge for the makerspace mentality is that you absolutely have to do reflection that helps the students formalize what they've discovered and what they've realized so that they realize it's not just their idiosyncratic knowledge, it becomes our community and group knowledge and so they incorporate the, what they've developed and what they've figured out into the concepts of, that you're teaching in the course and the ways that that all works. And it builds, and this is what you know, people who advocate makerspaces are all about, is that it builds agency for the students in yeah. understanding what they're doing and their, their own learning. Well, and at SVSU, we built off of these kinds of impulses that we were you know, exploring in our classrooms and bit by bit, I mean, we, we secured some funding to build our usability lab, and we secured additional funding to add audio capabilities. So we had our first podcasting studio, and then we added video production to that, and then we added the makerspace to that. And, and then after all of that stuff, and this was, this was incremental work over several years that we were, we were very lucky and very successful to be able to accomplish that stuff and, and to find ways of, of 
permeating our curriculum with these makerspace mentalities. And then we come to the realization, it's all makerspace. We haven't, we didn't think of it that way at the beginning, but here we get to the point, this is part of the evolution that we were hinting at earlier. Um, you know, I listened to John Dan Johnson, Ilala being interviewed at, at, by his local campus radio station, and he made reference to their audio studio or I think it was audio studio, but but in general the lab that he's that he works in over there, as their digital makerspace, and it was like boom, oh my gosh, John Dan's ahead of me <laughs> in thinking about these kinds of things. Why didn't I think of that, Scott? Why didn't you think of that? Um, but but that revelation I think is absolutely incredible. That all of these things are about that liminality, about that exploration, about that. Um, you know, taking on wicked problems and having these places where we can test out ideas, regardless of whether it's high tech, low tech, in between tech, it's all about design thinking. It's all about problem solving. Yeah, we didn't have, we maybe didn't necessarily have some of the terminology and at John the time. Dan, and John Dan's always ahead of all of us. But yeah, <laughs> well. <laughs> well, that's just it. We, we didn't have the necessarily the terminology, but I think at the core of what we were trying to create or well at the core of what we were trying to do was provide spaces for creation yeah. and invention, whether that was audio video, other kinds of multimodal multimedia production um, or, or thinking through some user experience process in the, in the, in the usability lab, uh, the maker space, not only gave us some of that additional terminology and, and way to kind of frame the entire thing or tie the whole thing up into a neat package. Uh, I think it helps to tie in, uh, solidify these, uh, the, you know, sort of the design thinking process as an extension to what we were already doing, which was the user experience and usability stuff. Um, you know, and that started over a decade ago. Uh, and as you said, I mean, it's been built incrementally over time, three, four, five thousand dollars at a time. Um, so, you know, which, which I, I think in some ways sounds like a lot. But when you think about some of these other labs, <laughs> it it's it's not a whole lot. Um, and especially when you can kind of, you know, chunk it up like that. But the other thing that we had to do is to think about curricularly how to support, right? How do how do the facilities support what we're doing curricularly? Uh, we had already been, you know, pulling in, um, you know, assignments and, and, and really focused on usability and user experience. And you and I had written about that for programmatic perspectives a couple of years ago and, and shared some of the things that we had done. Uh, but then we found ourselves, you know, at, at, at the precipice of, of creating a new curriculum and, and thinking through how to build some of that stuff in. Uh, and we recognized right away that we wanted to go vertical, right? Really kind of build curriculum that, 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 that increased right as students matriculated through the program, how, how do they build on the knowledge they, they, they had learned in, in previous courses, but then we also wanted to provide that sort of breadth across each level layer and level two. Uh, and so we could think about curricular or verticality in some of the courses we created, like our problem solving course. And then at the 200 level, and then at the 400 level, we have an advanced problem solving course. And in the interim, Students are taking a methods course in usability studies and they're doing internships. Uh, and so, right, this knowledge is building as they go and across they're taking courses in emerging media and information architecture and, and, and web writing. Uh, so again, they're kind of getting this breadth and depth 
and the facilities that are integrated into all these layers, you know, every facility may not be used at every, for every course or at every level, but throughout the course of the curriculum, they're, they're learning how to create in these spaces. Uh, and, and so the idea, I guess, I, I hope anyway, is, is that, that while these spaces serve as the sort of these thresholds or these liminal spaces that by the time they get to a course, like the advanced problem solving, they feel comfortable with uh, a, a loose framework and they can kind of start thinking like really thinking like problem solvers and incorporating these methodologies. And I know that, um, you know, we all sort of teach that course in, in, in a similar way, not necessarily all the same, but, but right. It, it all sort of follows that iterative process. And it's interesting when we think about curriculum and we think about the ways that students in whatever programs or whoever we're serving, um, but doing the problem solving itself, like design thinking is a kind of liminal activity compared to other disciplines that have um, very structured, very settled, like what their disciplines do is create a defined space. And what our discipline, whether it's computers and writing or technical communication or rhetoric is very much about, well, what space do I need to be in now? And how do we shift back and forth between those different spaces? So I think it is an interesting question when we say, we know that the students need to be uncomfortable to learn. Learning requires that discomfort. But um, you know, they become more comfortable, we hope, in that understanding themselves this way as liminal workers, right? Or people who work through different liminal stages as required. But um, it's interesting. Do they ever really get that comfortable? I don't know that they always really feel like they, well, it might not be until they, they get that first job. Well, and even then, when you think about them, they get the job, but they still, I think it's interesting that majors in our fields, they know they can transition. They know like the, the you know, solving problems in tech comp book, what's the one thing we know? Change. And one of their core abilities is adaptability. So hopefully they get comfortable with the idea that they can adapt. Well, and one of the things that you said a, a few minutes ago, Steve, talking about exploration being a quality or a characteristic that we wanted to celebrate in a variety of different ways in our, in our discipline, in our profession, in our curricula, in our programs. And, 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 and I think one of the things that I, I want to make sure that, that we think about as a discipline and that we think about it as, as, as part of our pedagogical practice is that the idea of a liminal space, the idea of a maker space is something that we need for every component of our curriculum. So we right now are focusing on maker spaces as these places for engagement with the physical or the digital and, and with problem solving. But we need to have that same mentality when we're talking about rhetoric, when we're talking about technology, when we're talking about communication theory, sociology, any of the disciplines that we might draw in, that we might use to inform ourselves, we need to bring that stuff with that same kind of mentality of exploration and with that same sense of wonder that comes along with it that says, okay, do I have this right? Is there a right? You know, is is there a way, is there one way of interpreting this or, or is this something that's going to evolve as well? You know, the, the 
permission to learn and fail, learn and succeed, learn and stumble, be somewhere in between. All of those things have to be components of our curriculum, regardless of the subject matter that we're exploring. And again, whether it's the thinking part, the doing part, or some transition between those two. Well, I know we could talk about this stuff all day. Um, in the interest of time, I think we should look at wrapping it up. And one of the things that I really want to do as we bring our session to a close here is invite listeners to reach out. I, I said at the top of the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving your name and contact information in the guest book. But if you'd like to reach out and, and, and talk a little bit more or we want to have a conversation, want to be part of a podcast with us in the future, uh, go ahead and send us a message and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I think we're going to wrap this up and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening, everybody. Man, that was fun. I agree. <laughs>